left has no idea how much more damage we can do to them as private citizens, as people unfettered by being part of the US government. And as you can see from the campaigning I did for Judge Moore and Steve as well, we have begun. listening to the liquid flannel podcast thanks for tuning in i'm chuck williams joining me in nebraska is brendan williams brendan how you doing i'm doing great man joining us also in nebraska is our buddy nick glessman nick how's it going how do you tune in onto a podcast it's like you're turning digitally tuning into a radio or anything well you know (laughs) you you tune into your app to your app setting you know you tune (laughs) into your soundclouds fair enough to your itunes but also uh, tuning in from arlington texas is the great matthew hodges matt how you doing bud i'm good man uh i'm glad that my ham radio broadcast comes through to you guys clearly enough to be able to record the show each week yeah you know because i always hate our backup communication method which is carrier pigeons so <laughs> right <laughs> yeah there's there's a bit of a lag in that conversation i mean they're good tweets but you know <laughs> <laughs> not program worthy but you know as usual you know we've got a great guest for you lined up this week this week we've got a member of antifa uh nestor nestor how you doing man great and there is actually an fm chip in your phone so you pick up fm radio and it wouldn't have as much lag. Oh, man. So how do you do that, then? Just got to get some app or something. I don't I'm know. I'm not entirely sure because I haven't done it yet. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Step I don't know, one. Man, that sounds pretty guy. complicated. I was kind of thinking like a can and a really long string, maybe. Right. Step one, I don't, drill. I did hold. hear it on Alex Jones, so maybe it's fake. <laughs> right fake news baby absolutely oh, fell for the jones again that's right <laughs> hey is it antifa or antifa that is a really good question because no one knows the answer <laughs> yeah this is this is why this is why antifa needs some central organization just we, to settle that we question. thought we thought so you could fix this if you point. say anti-fascist you're gonna say antifa if you say yeah. what well, this weird word that is a-n-t-i-f-a it's Antifa. Right. I always thought it was anti-fa, you know, but I, <laughs> I guess... I prefer uh, antifa. Uh, so, you know, Artifar. If you no, pro- it's, it's pronounced uh, intifada. You guys, we've been using this <laughs> this word since like the 70s. Figaro, figaro, figaro. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Well, you know, <laughs> among other things, we will be learning how to uh, say antifa <laughs> and talking about what it is on the program here and uh tying it into the national yeah. conversation maybe so. dispelling some uh, myths doing a little bit of a myth busters on the organization <laughs> Get, getting a little bit of a history a family tree a family antifa <laughs> and having a little bit of fun along the way so without further ado Let's just jump right in. <laughs> we turned it out to the war, the Nazis vanished without a trace. But the Italians, the fascists, still dream of a master race. 
The history books they tell of their defeat in 45 But they all came out of the woodwork On the day the Nazi died They say the prisoner of Spandau was a symbol of defeat Whilst Hess remained in prison then the fascists they were beat So the promise of an Aryan world would never materialise So why did they all come out of the woodwork On the day the Nazi died The world is riddled with maggots The maggots are getting fat they're making a tasty meal of all the bosses and bureaucrats They're taking over the boardrooms and they're fat and full of pride And they all came out of the woodwork on the day the Nazi died So if you meet with these historians I'll tell you what to say Tell them that the Nazis never really went away They're out there burning houses down and peddling racist lies and we'll never rest again Until every Nazi dies The first times I had ever even heard about Antifa, uh, like we were saying on the break there, was through soccer, because they, they're a big part of European soccer, aren't they, Nestor? Yeah, the, uh, the soccer ultras, uh, especially European uh, football, they hold massive banners um, for political prisoners, for uh, anti-racism, all kinds of, uh, yep. in the U.S., what we would consider, like, far leftists. That's just, like, normal stadium banter. And it's amazing. <laughs> right. Regular well, and, you know, it's needed America. because it counterbalances, you know, the growing... Um, neo-Nazi recruiting grounds that the stadiums have kind of become. Well, because- it's, I mean, it's a natural place for it to happen, right? Because you do have this sort of uh, artificial hyper-nationalism that's going on already, which you that, have that if, natural it's, if it's all done in the spirit of sporting you know, camaraderie, then that's one thing, but people can use that as a springboard to say, you know, Italy for the Italians or whatever. Right. Right. You know, yeah. My question is, how big is the fascism movement movement in the European football? Like, is there oh, is there a big like counter? Yeah, European football. Um, they've got pretty strict rules. Uh, FIFA's got pretty strict rules. Um, they've suspended players and fined them quite a a large amount for doing uh, seek heils on the field on the right the pit for Jesus goal Christ. celebrations. So yeah, yeah. You know, people have been attacked on the field like, because the of Roman doing a seek heil. So. They're serious about it. Yeah, they, they, they are like mandatory like smacks in the back of the head if you cut your hair like Richard Spencer with that like side fade. <laughs> They're serious in some senses, but like, you know, professional clubs like Ajax in Amsterdam and Tottenham in in England, they were they were founded by Jewish players and uh, Jewish owners. And so some fans like opposing fans will make hissing sounds like the gas chambers and Jesus and nothing Christ. real. Dude, soccer is fuck they don't fuck around well, out there. I mean, they throw I mean, bananas at black players in Europe. I mean, it's not as bad. I wouldn't say it's worse now than it was right. like 5 or 10 years ago, but I mean, it's still evident there. They're so, so uncivilized. I mean, why can't they just be more like American fans and just yell <laughs> right. at their, why can't we, their players why can't they that they're not each other up like regular drunken assholes? <laughs> right. So honestly, back then though, Antifa to me was a very European thing. Can you speak to, you know, Antifa in the U.S. like about when it started to be 
a thing and you know i guess how the movement has grown in the last couple years nestor yeah so uh antifa in europe obviously uh, grew out of uh late world war one early world war two uh fascist which culminated in uh the the famous battle of uh, cable street where hundreds of thousands of people in east london ran out uh to attack the uh, the Mosley um, Union of Fascists, where they were trying to march through a, a Jewish neighborhood, and they just absolutely got beat the fuck out. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice. So <laughs> that's good that's like the the European history, the U.S. history. It grew out of the anti-racist movement. It's actually anti-racist movement started in uh, Britain as well. It was. Uh, in response to something that Eric Clapton had said on stage, uh, which I'm not going to repeat. Very racist man. He was incredibly... What did he say? Stone. Oh, wait, no. Incredibly <laughs> racist on stage. And a couple of uh, uh, reggae singers decided, hey, let's put on this uh, big event uh, against racism. And that became Rock Against Racism and then uh, grew from there. But... Uh, the the anti-racist movement uh, grew from that and uh, modern antifa within the last you know like 2 to 25 years has grown from the anti-racist movement mm -hmm. i guess maybe we need to back up a little bit for some of our older listeners and things what does antifa stand for in general i mean you see trump antifa well, yeah, and, and tie that tie that back to its roots between the the European Antifa and the the genesis of the American Antifa. Okay, because uh, clearly they they came out of different different places, but a shared philosophical point of view. Right. Um, so it's it's interesting to think about like what does Antifa think? What does Antifa stand for in America right now, and how that relates to its history? Okay, so uh, the uh, Antifa uh, stands for anti-fascism, so it's it's against fascism. Fascism, of course, is uh, authoritarian nationalism with uh, xenophobia, extreme capitalist, uh, national organization of uh, uh, corporations, just. The root of fascism is based on identity politics. There's about 90 different variations of what fascism is and how it is enacted through authority and through power. But um, Antifa is short for anti-fascist. So Antifa opposes fascism. So when people say they're anti-Antifa, it's just a long way of them saying, I'm fascist. <laughs> right right that's my favorite part about it. it's like if you're just gonna say you're anti anti-fascism just say you're a fascist right right it's make it like, easier yeah, saying like oh i'm anti-racism and they're like well i'm anti-anti-racism like, <laughs> so you're a racist <laughs> it sounds pretty racist bro <laughs> right well and i i think the reason that you can do that is because and nestor you can correct me if i'm wrong but antifa isn't 
really an organization. It's a point of view. Right. It's a tactic. Uh, it, there's no... Right, there's there's no central organization for it. There's no yeah, it's not a political not like party. A, a national board of directors of Antifa that you can point to that's setting policy. Um, so yeah, it's it's way easier to do that than it would be to say like, well, we're anti. Um, I don't know, like the National Organization of Women for this particular policy. You know, that's that's an identifiable group of people at least card carrying uh, members. But with Antifa, right? it's it's not. You're just saying. I'm opposed to the philosophy of being opposed to this other philosophy and therefore like co-signing it. That's, that's obviously been one of the big, uh, one of the big objections on Twitter, Reddit, other places that people are talking about this, the comment sections of NBC news articles or any of the replies to Donald Trump when he says this, like, you know, how do you square Antifa tactics with what people seem to believe about free speech in this country. Yeah. Well, I think the, uh, the idea of free speech and the, the actual constitutional definition of free speech are wildly different. People think that if you have an opposing view and you speak that opposing view that you are infringing on someone's free speech, which is, not only impossible, but ridiculous. Like, how would you ever have an argument if there weren't two opposing sides? But right, right. saying that I'm infringing on Richard Spencer's free speech by telling him that, hey, don't genocide me is somehow violent or more violent than him advocating for genocide. Because... The the free speech amendment to the to the Bill of Rights says that a government shall not infringe upon the free speech of people. Blah blah blah. I'm not a government. I'm a a single person. I cannot infringe upon your rights to say whatever backwards ass bullshit you want to say. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and and even if you're using the the broader definition of you know the principle of free expression that is enshrined in the the first amendment it does seem like you can draw a line when it comes to intrinsically violent or harmful speech uh i i don't think that there's any way to frame we need a white ethno state knowing that that's going to require a genocide um and be peaceful it's not just a point of view at that point it is something like an exhortation to violence or creating structures that would create violence not to mention fascism in itself is all about uh, self or about censorship and taking away that right of free expression. So how can you as a as a supposed fascist honestly say I believe in fees, free speech but you want to take away the fund, fundamental right of what makes America America if you will. Yeah, Nick, I don't that's understand absolutely that. right and that goes to I mean this argument that I always make against fascism or or letting ha- letting fascism have a platform is they're going to use whatever tools you give them under a liberal democracy up until the point that they have the power to take away those powers from everybody else. This is, I mean, they manipulate the system so that they can get a foot in the door and then they take away those rights from everyone else. They're experts Mm. at it. Well, I think that the public perception of Antifa is that they see what was on Charlottesville 
and they think violence is like your primary tool in your toolbox, but it's it's more than just that. Like you have other methods of combating fascism, don't you, Nestor? Oh, absolutely. Uh, physical confrontation is the last possible uh, sort of uh, tactic. Like when you've exhausted all other options and the only way to stop these people that want to initiate a genocide or want to initiate an ethno state is to physically block them from doing so, then that's mm-hmm. what gets the news headlines. That's what gets people out in the street. Right. But there are a thousand different steps before that trying to stop these people from growing, stop them from uh, organizing with other people that think that maybe my white skin says that I'm better than you and I need to eliminate all other people. There, there's a thousand other ways from doing that, from uh, stepping from uh, stopping people in the street to, I don't know, uh, looking at somebody's Facebook page and they say, oh, I, I want to rid the USA of Muslims because they're trying to enact Sharia law. It's like right, you right. want to watch that person and see where it is they're progressing and who they're speaking with, how they're organizing And at any point where you can intervene is far better than uh, standing out in the street and shouting. Yeah, because the press is going to focus on that one aspect of anti-fascism, anti-fascist movement. Like, oh, they just want to cause trouble. They're just trying to stir up trouble. They want to fight everybody. And that's, I mean... They, they they just need that one soundbite or that one video yeah, clip. Of it's somebody, red meat for them. Some, somebody yeah. getting punched, and they just zero in on that. Yeah. Right. Well, and especially when you know the the easier or sorry, especially when the more accurate description of violence on the part of Antifa is something along the lines of self defense. I mean, right. For the right. most part, they're not out there picking the fight, but they are there to. Right prevent the fight from happening or right. going back strong the other way if somebody actually starts one. Nobody wants to fight. It's the last resort. You'll notice Antifa's not out there starting rallies saying like Antifa needs to take over this country. Like, right. They're, they're there <laughs> yeah. because yeah. these Nazis are rallying or whatever saying white yeah. people need to take over this country and they're like, I don't think that's a good idea. Right. They're not yelling, you will not replace us, you know, so. They're not trying blood <laughs> and soil out there. <laughs> right. So, you know, so what are some of the things that uh, you all do on a local level or that Antifa participates in on a local level? And then how does that tie into the national conversation? You know, I mean, as you know, we just had a revisit to Charlottesville 2.0 here. So why wasn't that on the news? Yeah, you know, uh but how does Antifa handle that, like, on the national level? How does that tie in with it, what the Nebraska Antifa is doing? Right. So it, it was somewhat on the news. It was definitely on Charlottesville's news. Um, just tonight, they interviewed uh, Richard Spencer on their evening news. They gave him a very long, oh, uh, drawn-out platform to explain his uh, ethno-nationalist uh, stance. And why he chose Charlottesville, why he chooses torches, which we all know why he does that. It's because he's a troll, but he's a troll with power. Keeps the bugs away. Um, Here in Nebraska, (laughs) how that that relates to 
different organizations uh, or different uh, organizing against uh, anti-fascism is that uh, we all we're all opposed to fascists. So of course, if you're not opposed to fascism, you're probably a fascist. So my grandma is anti-fascist. She saw what happened in World War II. Good for your grandma. She was not happy with it. So my grandma is an uh, Antifa terrorist, as the the alt-right wants to paint it. Um, mm-hmm. Either great court. choice of words or <laughs> so poor choice of words. Anti-fascist here, uh, Omaha, Lincoln, Council Bluffs. Um, we we don't have large physical confrontations and like the pitch street battles that are seen in uh, Berkeley or Portland, um, Charlottesville. Right. Do and you think it's because we don't have the numbers for it? Neither mm-hmm. do we actually see. Hey, not yet, man. Don't don't sell yourself short. Yeah, that, yeah. that may be on its way. But also, we don't see the the neo Confederate flashpoints like Charlottesville and Durham and so on and so forth uh, because basically because Nebraska wasn't even a state during the Civil War so there's no Confederate monuments for the alt-right to rally around as is right. like their current uh, mode of operation but uh, much of the work done by anti-fascists in Nebraska is it's the same as what people in like these pitch street battle cities are doing the the bulk of anti-fascist work is in observation infiltration and identification of people promoting racist hate and recruiting for others so uh, just since um, Trump's election the the people doing anti-fascist work in Nebraska have uh, successfully identified and uh, essentially stopped uh, a dozen white nationalists before they can grow their numbers before they can make it onto the street to incite violence before they can say oh mm-hmm. well ethno states are the it's just the extension of uh, liberal democracies we're just gonna extend that and hmm. so uh that's the the connection we have to these larger pitched battles in berkeley and portland charlottesville yeah, man, awesome. use use that report button on Twitter. I mean, that's that's a uh, one of the best one of the best weapons against uh, against creeping fascism right now is just try to deny these yeah. people the platform. And my personal story was is similar, like how I even found out about you know the Nebraska chapter or Nebraska Antifa um, was because someone had texted me to let me know that someone that I used to work with and someone that I used to be working friends with um, was a white nationalist and was going to rallies and was part of a white nationalist group, Identity Europa. So I Google that guy and his name, and the first thing that comes up is Antifa blog, and they've got it laid out. So it's definitely something that's making a real impact on the local level. I wonder, though. And he lost his job because of that. Because of our coverage, he lost his job because of that. <laughs> right. Good Absolutely. to Absolutely. You know, uh, and I know he was one of those people that's part of that book club. I'm, te- you know, I don't know. I listen When we listen to the podcast, or not we, but when I listen to the podcast. You're a stronger man than I am, that's yeah, for sure. You know, <laughs> 
Uh, those dudes do not sound, with the exception, the possible exception of Dan Cleave up in Lincoln, the rest of those dudes do not sound like the kind of guys that want any kind of confrontation whatsoever. And I'm just picturing the majority of that book club being like that. So I just want to be able to round up like 10 big black friends and just like <laughs> go into that bar during like, the hey, book, what's club. Up, book club guys. because those are the dudes that are yeah. like smashing car windows and leaving alt-right business cards and stuff and i just want to be like i just want to prove it to them right. that they would never say that shit to someone's face yeah you know? exactly they're they're doing it behind the power of uh amnitivity and they're being <laughs> anonymity to, yeah I, i'm sorry I can't, <laughs> no it's all good <laughs> can't talk but yeah they're they're doing it because they know it's, they can say it without any kind of real real world repercussions unless we find out who these people are get them to their employers and say hey is this the kind of person you want working for your company is this the, is this the face you want to present to your customers right well and i think the crazy thing is that you hear from places like the fbi and law enforcement that say things like Hey, if you hear something, say something, right? And if you hear people are saying terroristy sounding things, like they want to exterminate an entire race of people and they go to rallies about that, then you should t be telling people. Like that that shouldn't right. be like mm -hmm. a, a keeping it a secret yeah, type of for thing. Sure. No matter, you know, what sure. race you are or whatever. But and these dudes are doing it so brazenly because they know their white privilege is just going to mean that no one calls them on it. And right. the thing is, like, I think we talked about this a couple, maybe about a month and a half ago, that how uh, Donald Trump reduced funding. Maybe it wasn't Trump, but right. I'm sure he hadn't handed it. But they reduced funding for uh, homegrown terrorism, focusing on white nationalism and the white power movement in America. They they took away funding for it. Why? Who knows? Man, beats me. <laughs> but either way, they're having less res. The federal level and even state and local levels now have less resources, less money to put on it because they, they're they convinced that the next terrorist attack is still going to be from some you know, Muslim terrorist, which if you look at the statistics, you're more likely to be killed by a white male than you are by any kind of Muslim or woman or <laughs> anything else, at least in America. Right. Which is what makes your work that much more important there, Nestor. <laughs> so... Yeah, just the word of mouth, word of voice, getting it out there and spreading it out there. What can people do to get involved and to help Antifa? You know, I mean, say somebody wants to get involved and be active in it or um, wants to at least be an ally or assist. What are some things people can what do? What can I do on a local level to help promote anti-fascism? If you follow, I guess, the, uh, the say something or see something, say something motto. Just uh, <laughs> sure. If you if you see fascists and you can't physically confront them, whether it's because you you're physically not able to, or you're uh, concerned of uh, backlash because of that, because right. they love to dox people, they love to take photos and send it off to 4chan or 8chan and run it through their sure, extensive sure. Right. basement dweller uh, security system. The term right. I, the term they love to use, and the term I hate is weaponized autism. Just a disgusting term. Oh, Send that, like, tell somebody you know to make it known that these people are are trying to organize against uh, anyone who is not like them, which is ninety nine point nine percent of the time not white men. So anyone that they're mm -hmm. not 
comfortable being around, uh, then they're going to be angry about. So you see him putting up a, a flyer that says, call ICE on and, uh, illegal immigrants. Get their photo. Make sure that somebody knows who they are. If you know them personally, blast their name on social media because they're going right. to be outed eventually. Um, they hide behind uh, their Pepe flag and their or their Pepe image, their Kekistan flags. Right, right, yeah. Those they love avatars. the anime avatars too. Right. If you don't mind me asking about a particular case that you guys have been on in Nebraska, I do want to ask about this Dan Cleave character, particularly because this guy was actually at the original Charlottesville, correct? Yes. Well, it was actually Charlottesville 2.0 because they'd been to Charlottesville before, but the Unite the Right rally is what he attended on August 12th. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, this guy is actively trying to move up the ranks. I mean, he's on the Anti-Defamation League's, you know, list or whatever, and... He seems to also be pretty comfortable being out in public with his, you know, face on camera, going to Lincoln City Council meetings and stuff. Um, it's clearly a situation where he's not really trying to hide what he's doing. But when also his his uh, tactic, it's not, you know, like, hey, I'm Daniel Cleave of uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. I'm a junior at. Um, UNL, he doesn't go out daily and say, I'm a white nationalist, but he likes these little flashpoints where he knows cameras are going to be and he can go there, show up, say some ridiculous shit, and then walk away. Sure. Which is what Richard He's Spencer is doing questions. right now. Like, they showed up uh, a few days ago in Charlottesville with torches, 25 of them. They brought out all the media. They were there for less than 10 minutes. and then they- Yeah, it was basically like a, like a flash mob. Yeah. They didn't really announce it beforehand. They just showed up and did the thing. Not basically. The it was they that. Go out and they <laughs> spew their racist nonsense, and then they disappear. And that's exactly what Cleve is doing. He he shows up in these little spots. He does his little his dance, and, his, uh, and he's out of the door. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, you, know, you say you did a dance, but did he do a rap? In <laughs> not do a rap well, you know, he hasn't. Oh, that's too bad because uh, I'm still trying to decide whether he Mike hasn't been on Twitter a lot lately. Baked Alaska's was the better clapback. Well, I think that Baked Alaska probably has more experience because, you know, before he was uh, BuzzFeed editor, before he was Milo's, uh, Milo Yiannopoulos's uh, tour manager, he worked he at the was Warped a rapper, tour, right? YouTube rapper. So I think he's got some cred. Oh, I, I didn't know that. You some would not right there. actually know that based on the rap that he released. <laughs> oh, right. And funny enough. Well, because it's hard to. Daniel Cleave, uh, one of his roles in Charlottesville in August, um, which is mm. a role that uh, Vanguard America has been fulfilling for quite a while now, is that they do uh, impromptu security. They do their own sort of uh, autonomous security. and. Of course, Dan Cleave was assigned to Baked Alaska. There's a video of him pushing away, and I think he was an ADL reporter. Um, like mm-hmm. kept asking questions, asking questions, and I guess that this ADL reporter, the Anti Defamation League reporter, 
got a little too close when he was asking questions. So Dan pushed himself in and kind of separated the two because, you know, you have to protect the elites. You have to protect the, the YouTube rappers like Baked Alaska. Right. <laughs> right. Who used to be pro Black Lives Matter, by the way. <laughs> yeah, really, I, mean, I didn't you, know that. You never know what's going to happen, right? I mean, one of your guys might end up getting chased through some shrubbery. And that's a, shrubbery. I mean, that's a major insult to white America <laughs> and the, the dignity of yeah. YouTube racists. Yeah, you might get maced. You gotta but, watch out. Right. But this puts him this puts him by the VIPs of the alt-right. I mean, this is... Uh, well, this is something I, that he feeds on. I legit heard people say after Charlottesville happened, I mean, people were posting on Facebook and saying stuff like, well, that's crazy, but, you know, here it's different, right? You know, that's a, that's a South, you know, that's a Charlottesville problem. Like, right. no, here that's in incorrect. Nebraska, like, we're nice. It's Nebraska nice. Like, we're not like that. <laughs> to, like, to, to, jump, to jump in real quick and say uh, one of the very first uh, branches of, neo, of neo-Nazi uh, neo-Nazi liberation or whatever, for lack of a better term. The first headquarters outside of, I want to say California, was in Lincoln, Nebraska. Probably still is. So, no, Nebraska is not Nebraska nice. Nebraska is Nebraska neo-Nazi haven. <laughs> yeah. right. Same with Idaho and About Montana. That, yeah, uh, outside of the South, the the neo-Nazis um, base, I guess if you're, if you're considering neo-Nazis and the Ku Klux Klan to be in the same bubble, the same thing. Um, mm. During the the height of the Ku Klux Klan, the highest uh, membership was in Indiana, which was a northern state. Yeah, um, there are still yep, yeah. a lot. I think actually, per capita, there's more uh, Claverns, the KKK Clavern, in mm-hmm. uh, California than there are across the United States South. Um, the neo-Nazis. Once you get out of the liberal areas of California, L.A., Sacramento, San Francisco, it's still very hardcore conservative and backwards. Right. There's yeah. a lot of rural In the Orange County area. California especially. people forget about. Oh, yeah. That's a rich, rich Republican type area. And <laughs> if you're just counting neo-Nazis themselves, the people that exclusively adhere to a, a neo-Nazi idea of what the U.S. should be, um, in Lincoln, Nebraska, it was... Uh, Gary Locke, or as he prefers to be called, Gerhard Locke, and he used to sport a yeah. little. Uh, yeah, I know. I've heard of them. Handle or room mustache, whatever Hitler had. Nice. He's yeah. still a toothbrush, uh, toothbrush mustache, toothbar. Contributing to the neo-Nazi movement, um, despite spending some time in a German prison because he was smuggling neo-Nazi pamphlets into Germany to distribute. And outstanding. He still hosts um, the the most European neo-Nazi websites from Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah, not surprising at all. And I well, would also I just... it, it highlights a really good point, which is that fascism doesn't just grow in. We've got this narrative about like Trump supporters in the United States, where it, they come from the the working class, the white working class, the aggrieved classes, but. That's not actually where most of his support is, and yeah, if you most look of them, through history, that's not where most of fascism's support. It's comes in the one percent. Uh, it oppression. comes from fairly well off, maybe not well off, but comfortable white people for the most part. People who don't want to give, give up their, their position power. in life. There's a really great story about uh, about how that happens even before 
Nazi Germany, if I could share that real quick. Yeah, yeah. please do. So please do. In 1918, at the height of the the Russian Revolution, in 1918, the uh, Revolutionary Insurrectionary Army of Ukraine, um, led by my namesake uh, Nestor Makhno, uh, they were they were uh, liberating a city of seven million people. Um, they they left because there was no central government, there was no there was no leader. They were acting of their own accord. They continued on their their sort of I guess missionary movement. Um, they went west <laughs> right through uh, Ukraine. Just just proselytizers. It's it's like going on a Mormon mission, right? Yeah. Except they're anarchists. Very wholesome. <laughs> Oh, right, right. Nice. And then I have multiple wives. So they went west uh, through Ukraine. They encountered the the organized and completely equipped forces of uh, Simon Petlura. So Simon Petlura uh, ran his own sort of autonomous region. He had his own army. Um, and at this at this point in time, uh, the Petlurovsky, if I'm saying that right, I don't speak mm-hmm. Russian or... <laughs> but the Petlurovsky uh, considered the Maknovist movement an important episode in the Ukrainian Revolution. So, not knowing it very well, the uh, Petlura hoped to attract these bands of rebels into their sphere of influence and, you know, place them under his own control because they had a big number of people following them. They needed a lot of numbers. So, uh, sure. very amicably, hmm. he addressed Makhno. Uh, with a series of political questions, just like, you know, I'm just asking questions, bro. So he said, what's his opinion of the petrolist movement, the petrolist government? How did he conceive a future political structure of Ukraine? Um, would he not find it desirable and useful to work in common with them for creation of an independent Ukraine? And the Machnavist reply was incredibly to the point. They said, that in their opinion, the, the Petrochina was a bourgeois nationalist movement whose road was entirely <laughs> different from that of the revolutionary peasants of the Maknevchina, and that uh, Ukraine could only be organized on the basis of free labor and the independence of the peasants and the workers, and that not only did they not accept union with anyone, but they uh, they had nothing but struggle in, uh, between Maknevchina the movement of the workers and petrol China, the movement of the bourgeoisie. So in less than nine months after that, so I guess to fill that in, they had a short battle. They, they fought each other. They shot at each other. Um, Makhnev China has shortly took over this region, but they lost it. So nine months after that encounter, uh, Petlura lost control of his army and then Jewish pogroms began in his region. Uh, Within six months, they killed 35,000 to 50,000 Ukrainian Jews. And all of this was 15 years mm. before Hitler even got power in Germany. So right. this is why nationalism has to be stopped before it becomes fascist action. Because nationalism without power is just hot air. But fascism without power is dead in the water. Yeah. That's that's Completely where agreed, yeah. you'll find a lot of uh, anti-fascist action will find itself is you can't let nationalism grow to the point where it has power and authority because then you have fascism. Mm, absolutely. Right. 
it's it's a cancer. It's so easy to spread though because you can just plant these right. small little ideas like, hey, you know, we're just we're supporting our country. We're supporting our people. Our people in quotation marks. You know, substitute that for whoever you want it to be. Right, yeah. Our people as very narrowly defined and usually leading you to some kind of a genocide. Which goes back, like, to the whole sports thing. You bring back the military aspect of it all. It's a perfect recruit- recruitment ground for it all. Oh, yeah. I mean, most I – f- I, feel, I feel like most people could probably separate it. You know, it's just, you know, pride in your country versus we need to cleanse – we need to cleanse undesirables. Well, right. It's like, okay, so this is this was kind of the distinction from my rant the other night about soccer. I mean, yeah. was the fact that... It was a okay, good rant, though. You know, a game is a game, but international soccer, I feel comfortable chanting USA at an inter- international soccer match or singing the anthem, but... When people are chanting it at a Nebraska football game, right. it feels a little bit more creepy. Yeah, you know? I mean, we all get it. We're all we're all in Nebraska. Right. We're all There's in America. No Americans there, you right? Know? I mean, unless there's some foreign exchange student who just want to come check it <laughs> yeah, out. It's all for them. Right. You're, you're some kid from China. You suddenly feel very uncomfortable because you got a bunch, you know, ninety thousand <laughs> drunk ass people screaming America, USA. Right. right. I would definitely feel kind of well at it unease, and it's the type of thing where they show videos of people doing it in other countries including like north korea and stuff mm. and people here go that's so creepy and yeah. weird look at those freaks yeah <laughs> yeah and then you see oh my god look at those badass jets that just flew over us <laughs> a show of military strength like well that's exactly what we're doing son. and it's like pavlov's dog whipped up in a frenzy i mean it's just <laughs> screaming usa when that shit happens man I don't know. Being in the middle of the country, you can drive basically 12 hours in any direction. You're still in the same country. Oh, Why yeah. do you have yeah, to right. let people around you know, we're here for USA? Well, no shit. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and except when the, the Penguins NHL team got invited to the White House and Trump was like, these are some real patriots right here. They're great patriots. Where, like, 60% of the team isn't even American. Right. You know, it's right. like Canadians. Well, they're from Russia, so Europeans come on now. And, you know, all that. Um, and so, but he, he doesn't even know, you know what I mean? Right. So, uh, it's beautiful. Yeah. This is probably a good place to take a break here. And when we come back, we'll uh, jump into something else. Jump jump back. Oh, yeah, you, right. you messed up your flow there, bro. Jump back. Whatever. <laughs> You're never going to get an M on this. Man, no deals. No endorsements. Jump in the fire, Jack right. Flash. <laughs> well, America is plagued by the specter of fascist violence, and in an ironic twist, these fascists call themselves anti-fascist, Antifa. Whenever conservatives want to speak on campus or hold a rally, Antifa groups are a reliable presence, and they routinely try to stamp out speech using vigilante violence, which they perversely justify as a form of self-defense. Mike Isaacson is a professor at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. He founded the Antifa group Smash Racism DC, and he joins us tonight. 
Professor, thanks for coming on. Hi, how are you doing? Thank you for having me. So your position, tell me if I'm mischaracterizing this, is people you define as fascist do not have free speech rights. No. Uh, my position is that communities have the right to defend themselves against uh, groups that actively seek uh, to eliminate members of that community. D defend themselves against violence or defend yes, themselves against, against, against violence? I mean, we were talking about... Uh, no, but, no, but physical violence? So yes, if physical I say, violence. for example... We're talking about a history, uh, a group that has a history of no, no, not, uh, not, not hate his... crimes. Yeah, no, we're not no, no, going to pretend like we're just, we're, we're suddenly uh, in this ahistorical world uh, where, where oh, not, uh, Dylan I'm... Roof or Wade Michael Page doesn't exist, where uh, Anders Brand doesn't exist. Are you kidding me? No. Are you really a professor, by the way? I, what? Okay, so Nestor, Antifa gets a ton of flack, obviously, in the media, from the White House. I've wondered what that toll is on individuals who are involved with Antifa, and like, how do you deal with it with family members and things like that? Well, I think that the White House itself and the president addressing the threat of Antifa means that we're being very efficient. We're taking down actual known fascists. Right. The fact that the president and the White House needs to address that just reinforces that their base is in part fascist white nationalists, KKK members, neo-Nazis, etc. That their existence kind of justifies Antifa's existence. Right. Well, definitely, if there were no fascists, there would be no anti-fascist of course if there was no right. gravity there would be no anti-gravity <laughs> right. right no one denies that racists and white nationalists and fascists support donald trump i mean that should surprise anybody i mean sure. even conservatives will say well sure those racists do but they do it for the wrong reasons you know i support trump for the right reasons right. but what are the right reasons for supporting trump though that's a good, at this point that's a great question. I don't think there's a good answer for that. But but at some point, there was a colorable, better answer to that question, which would be something like, right. he's going to shake up the Washington establishment, or well, he isn't beholden to like big money interests, or whatever. Like There was a narrative at one point about him where he was better than just being the attractive to racists candidate. I mean, he was not Hillary Clinton. I mean, that's all. And then he assigned like five different Goldman Sachs executives to his cabinet so he's not beholden to big money oh yeah no the fiction didn't last very long but i i agree with brendan's point that at this point i don't know how you can even try to disclaim that wing of the the donald trump party because it seems to be it's pretty loud and pretty influential within his support yeah with steve bannon calling himself an economic nationalist which is basically saying i'm a white nationalist because economics is a huge part of fascist mm. doctrine uh, whatever his name is the, the creepy little receding oh steve stephen miller stephen miller yeah too many steves yeah he was college friends with richard spencer they built their white nationalist empire within ivy leagues right and stephen miller gets a position in the administration gorka sebastian gorka seb gorka <laughs> he helped the iron maiden the Ukrainian fascist revolution in 2014. Oh, they had to steal a name from a sweet heavy metal band? Come on. Now. He's got avowed white nationalists and neo-Nazis running his administration. You can't say that they're not there and like hiding in the shadows. They have cabinet positions. Well, the Golden Dawn in Greece, aren't they pretty popular? Which is a white nationalist uh, neo-Nazi movement. Right. 
Well, yeah, and you can be a political party there. <laughs> you know? I'm just saying, you guys, Number of the Beast was an absolute jam. So I don't know what the problem is with Iron Maiden in this conversation. Yeah, how how dare they? How dare they take away <laughs> a sweet heavy metal band and turn it into that? Right. Sigh. About your question about how do we how do we square that with our families? Right. Mm-hmm. I learned anti-fascism from my family. Right. It was it was passed down like any good human would oppose attacking others, attacking people that aren't like you. It was a quality instilled in me. It, it's not like I have to come out to my parents and say, Mom, Dad, <laughs> really? I regret to inform you I'm Antifa. Well, you come from a good family. My parents taught me that anti-racist action is how you should act. You shouldn't discriminate. I mean, th- that's common knowledge. I-, I came from a similar type of family. You know, my mom and dad both instilled me, like, you should stand up for, for things that are against injustice. But now in their later age, they're both retired police officers. So they're both a part of the Blue Lives Matter group, which right. now has been infiltrated by the alt-right neo-Nazis to push a certain agenda. I've made it quite clear that I don't support that. Mm. You know, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm very much inclusive of all people right. in the country. Right, right. If the Blue Lives Matter movement was serious, they wouldn't want white nationalist support. They white, would denounce it. Right. right. They would say, if you're a white nationalist who's a cop, we don't want you to be a cop. You're not a good cop if you're a white nationalist. I you're not a good point. Republican. But the fact that they choose to ignore that rather than fighting it. I feel sure. like you can support the police because they do provide you know an important service in the country. But at the same time, you can realize that it's also fairly, I don't want to say corrupt, but corrupt. These groups who are kind of okay with not thinking too hard about their white nationalist support. Right. You know, if they were smart... They would force those people out of their groups, but they're hesitant to do that because they know it it gives them power because they're a really active participant. I, I want to say at least like 60% of the Blue Lives Matter group is just white nationalists who aren't police officers. Right. Who are just who, co-opting that. Yeah, they're just trying to push this narrative that black people and minorities in general are undesirables and they're the ones committing the problem. Right. No, I agree. Those are the people who empower actual fascism because- not everybody in Nazi Germany belonged to the SA. They weren't all signed up with the government. You did have a whole bunch of people who kind of, I don't know, chided it from the sidelines, but also kind of benefited from it, and it didn't really affect them day to day, but they held the actual power in the country. I can't remember what Martin Luther King Jr. said. It was something to the effect that the moderate white majority didn't say anything about it. They just kind of let it happen because it didn't affect them whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely. The white moderate that MLK talked about is kind of applicable to the middle class, mostly white moderate on white supremacy and the rise of fascism in the United States. You figure that most white people really don't care about white nationalism because it doesn't affect them at all. Right, they don't have to think about it. Uh, Speaking of Martin Luther King talking about white liberals, I think that being in Omaha, I've learned a lot more about Malcolm X. Sure. Obviously, I'd read his, uh, oh, yeah, definitely. his autobiography. Oh, yeah, you can go to his uh, childhood home. Yeah, which they tore down before they even realized who he was. <laughs> right. When uh, he says, when a white man comes to me and he says, hey, I support you, I'm a liberal. He wants to know, are you white liberal or are you like, I'm a John Brown liberal and it's going to 
kill some white racists. And obviously right. that, that's not the, the full right. quote, but that's the gist of it. I want to know where you stand. Are you, oh, well, these people are protesting mm. and I don't really support the way they're doing it, but I like that they're protesting. Or right. are you like, hey, where can I kill some racists? I, I definitely belong to the camp of I'm a Wall Street editorialist who wants to write about how Antifa is so much more dangerous than actual like Nazi marches through American cities. Right. Look at all the political power. Suggesting that white nationalism isn't predicated on genocide, which genocide is killing large swaths of people. That's the, that's a huge violent act. It's like you have man. It just it sounds to me like you're just uh, against you know, free expression. Definitely against free expression of genocide. Well, that's hard to argue with. (laughs) A lot of people seem to, since the election of Donald Trump, seem to categorize themselves as anti-fascist because they're anti-Trump. And while they're partway there, just being anti-Trump doesn't necessarily make you anti-fascist, even though Trump has exhibited a lot of fascist tendencies. He's a proto-fascist. Like his disdain for human rights, he's withdrawn protections for trans people, his powerful cause of nationalism, stacking his cabinet with admitted nationalists. Nationalists and captains of industry. Obviously, his his rampant sexism that has been documented throughout the years. Sure. His attacks on media, like, he hates CNN, he hates New York Times. The failing New York Times just attacking mass media with the, the corporate power. He's a corporate magnate he is the trump brand obviously that's the corporate angle disdain for anyone that is perceived as intellectual or within the arts right attacking anyone smart who disagrees with you as being the the liberal elite obsession with crime and punishment cronyism fraudulent elections any of that that's all like fascism 101 how do i instill fascism and he's just following the playbook I, I almost feel like he's stumbling through the playbook rather than really focusing on and purposefully drilling right. through it. He's, he's stumbling through it because the people who are in charge don't really know how to say it to make it sound like it's not fascism. Because he's empowering the white nationalists right. and below him to take over. Because honestly, I would not be shocked if he lost the 2020 election, but I it's not going to be a Democrat or a liberal who wins the 2020 election. It's going to be somebody who's going to be Way worse than Trump, but also way smarter, like a Mike Pence 2.0, who knows like how to make it sound like white people are are under attack. Yeah, it could take us back to like the respectable DC politics, no matter what he's pushing. It is definitely scary to think about what if Trump was 10% competent? He could be doing a lot more damage than what he's doing right now if he really buckled down. That's why it's that's why I feel like it's a catch 22. When you say we need to impeach Trump, like, well, yeah, yeah I oh, don't, yeah. I don't want him in power, but at the same time, I'd rather have him in power as opposed to Mike Pence, who's actually media savvy and knows what to say to make it sound like he's right. not pushing a certain agenda, right? Or even if you get rid of Mike Pence, the next one in line is Paul Ryan, right? Oh, absolutely, President Paul Ryan, Jesus Christ! I don't want to put be put in that situation <laughs> at all. The the devil, you know. Yeah, and Mike Pence definitely has the the media savvy. I mean, he was on. See you at 2021. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, if only Captain Murphy was running. But chainsaw hand. If it was just that episode where that vending machine like <laughs> fell on him. 
There you we go. might actually be doing better with Captain Murphy at the home because at least half of his inane schemes were somewhat benevolent. To bring it back locally, someone who I've been thinking about a lot lately is Ben Sass, who really does seem like he is positioning himself as the yep. front runner of kind of the anti-Trump Republican wing that people like Bob Corker and, and even McCain to some extent are kind of aligning themselves with his his ridiculous attempt at trying to argue with Richard Spencer. Yeah, dude. Right. Oh, like, did they did they do a rap battle like uh, Eminem and Big Alaska? Because that sounds amazing. No, I mean, in a way, almost. But they tried to open a dialogue, and you can't dialogue with fascists because if it's on Twitter, they're just going to mock you. If it's in the streets, they're just going to kill you. Like I don't understand where this. Like, hey, I'm going to attack the biggest troll in the United States. Well, it's because it's Ben Sass. Ben Sass only wants to do the thing that looks good, not the thing that actually is good. Like laughing on live TV about a racist joke that Bill Maher says. Yeah, or occasionally going on Twitter to chastise Donald Trump and then voting for his entire uh, legislative slate. Yeah, I don't know. Ben Sass, man, I worry about him because he, he I likes don't know to pretend to that... He is anti-Trump and anti... I'm glad that he's, you know, attacking Richard Spencer for what it's worth, but if he was in power, he would just enact a Christian theocracy, just like Mike Pence would. I mean, the that's Christian his version dream. of Sharia law. Right. Madam Speaker, I come before the House today in strong opposition to the Employment Non-Discrimination Act to prohibit employment discrimination based on sexual orientation. I believe in civility and decency in society. Uh, but the problem here is that by extending the reach of federal law to cover sexual orientation, employment discrimination protections, uh, in, in effect, can wage war on the free exercise of religion, emanating as it does out of the First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States, uh, for practicing your faith or acknowledging your faith in the workplace. Because the homosexual employee objects to passages in the Bible relating to homosexuality. We must stand for the right uh, of every American to practice uh, their faith according to the dictates of their conscience, whether it be in the public square or in the workplace. Well, hold on. Specifically, what? Do we need to close this out before we before we continue? Yeah, we should, we okay. should probably we should probably uh, close out the recording at least. Let's well, wrap this. What is what is? No, 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 the, no, no. Hold on. No, no, no. Don't stop. We got to do like an actual outro. <laughs> okay. What is the official Twitter handle? So the Nebraska Antifa Twitter handle is Antifa underscore N E. Okay. Yeah, pretty simple straightforward. enough. I'm sure you can just search for Antifa Nebraska too. And our our blog is antifaneb.noblogs.org. We've got Well, thank you everybody life. for tuning in <laughs> and we'll see you next week.